Welcome to Liberty Lockdown. Please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it go? What's up, y'all? Clint Russell, Liberty Lockdown. I am back from Austin. Had an incredible time. Thought the speech went really well. Loved hanging out with uh, Josie and Maj and Angela McCardle and Ian Crossland and a lot of people. Awesome time. Um, just got back uh, yesterday, and because I haven't been able to do an episode in six days, I'm giving you two. But one of them is too hot for the YT, so it'll be a Rumble exclusive. And obviously, I, I never mentioned this, but if you're a video watcher, this show is very popular on audio podcasting platforms, and you can find it anywhere. Just search Liberty Lockdown, hit that subscribe button so that you can get all of the latest and greatest. I put everything up over there no matter how hot it is. So you can always do that. Um, I had a tweet yesterday that went mini viral and I wanted to show you guys it and answer a question from some rando who uh, almost certainly doesn't know me, doesn't know anything about what I'm about. But um, I thought that this would be an interesting thing to explain for you guys. So I'm going to do that. The tweet I put out said, Anheuser-Busch share price is still near its high for the year. Here's the chart. You can see that it's it's about 65 bucks, and it capped out around 66 bucks over the past year. So it is very, very close to its annual high. Had a big dip down to about 45, and that was seven, eight months ago. So it is way up. It, you can see at the very tail end here over the past 30 days, that's the Dylan Mulvaney ad campaign thing or you know brand sponsorship it wasn't really an ad campaign where it dips down then it comes right back up and then it kind of borderline so it's like it doesn't do much and i said yet bud light sales are down 25 percent now keeping in mind anheuser-busch consists of like 20 different brands so it's not as simple as just beating up one brand and anheuser-busch is going to tank but regardless 25 percent is a like massively Sigma, Black Swan, never you never see those kinds of uh, of shifts in consumer demand. So this boycott is for real. And uh, I said, this is the power of ESG. You have to maintain the boycott until the hedge funds, what I really meant by hedge funds, I just didn't have enough uh, letters left to say it, was money managers more broadly, uh, cave in and sell. So you have to maintain the boycott until the hedge funds cave in and sell. Do not relent. This is only the beginning and this precedent would be very meaningful. And some rando responds, why keep at it with this? The idiot marketing girl who came up with the Mulvaney thing is out now. I think other execs are out too. Doesn't that end the episode? Why do we need to see Anheuser-Busch go out of business over this? Well, thank you for asking, Seth. I'll answer in detail. The reason Anheuser-Busch must suffer is because it is so hard to galvanize people to push back against these companies that abuse their customer base. And by abuse, I mean giving them marketing that isn't for them. Now, that's not really abusive, but you know what I'm saying. It's it's contrary to what their customer wants. And what I'm trying to do with supporting this protest, this boycott, is to get the, the big businesses of the world to start listening to their consumers again and stop listening to ESG. I also had some finance, finance guru who quote tweeted me laughing about how this was all nonsense and blah, blah, blah. 
I then went back and forth with him to which he had no rejoinder. So I think that a lot of people don't understand this still. And when I'm able to explain it, I think people will get it. So that's what I'm doing now. Essentially, it's very hard to get the dissident right, the libertarians, whatever, to protest anything. So once you have them protesting something and it's meaningful and it's significant and it's working and you have a 25% drop in one of these ad campaigns that is insulting to their customer base, keeping in mind, I don't really care about Dylan Mulvaney. I don't really care if you want to craft your marketing to appeal to 0.05% of the population. Fine by me. Ruin your company. The reason that this is an important fight is because it's a fight directly in the teeth of ESG. And the reason that these companies do this type of marketing campaign is one, sure, they have a bunch of true believer idiots uh, that they hire and they get in there and they do this type of stuff. But the reason that this stuff, in my opinion, gets greenlit is because of ESG, because specifically that little S letter in between the E and the G, social, social justice. What does the S of ESG really represent? To me, it represents the acquiescence to the demands of the smallest minority amongst us, which happens to have complete dominant cultural control. And S being social justice means that you have to give justice to these people that are so downtrodden and so oppressed, even though everyone goes out of their way to make sure that we get their pronouns right and everything else, right? Um, so it's not, it's not that I care at all about that specific marketing campaign. It's that the reason they do it is to get BlackRock in, in particular, which owns over 400,000 shares of Anheuser-Busch stock. They, they want them to invest in their stock. And when you get your ESG score elevated or in this, I mean, you can read it both ways. Sometimes it's, it's, if you look it up, sometimes it'll be look, looking as if it's elevating or decreasing, but regardless, into the, the positive territory, uh, you know, positive reviews, it allows for the biggest money managers, BlackRock, which still has $8.7 trillion under management to invest in your company. And it is my fervent belief that the reason that marketing campaigns have become so disconnected from the customer base is because of ESG. And I think that the Dylan Mulvaney episode is a perfect example of that because the average consumer of Bud Light, my dear friends, is not Dylan Mulvaney. In fact, I would argue Dylan has never in his life or hers, whatever you prefer, drank Bud Light other than during that ad campaign. And I don't think that it's a very popular brand amongst that community. And I don't think that it was a real attempt to get that community to love Bud Light um, but rather just to get the S part of Anheuser, Anheuser-Busch's score elevated so that they could sell their stock, not their beer. And I, I view this as a very important moment to send a signal to the, the titans of not just industry, but of the titans of finance, that if you continue to abuse your customer base, we are no longer accepting it. We will punish you relentlessly. So much so that I would like to see Anheuser-Busch go bankrupt over this. Yeah, you heard me right. Now, you may think I'm going too far. Let me explain my justification for taking such a hardline stance. 
ESG is first and foremost a circumvention of the Bill of Rights because it allows the government to dictate policy that corporations then roll out, which we can't escape from. We have no capacity to vote our way free from a, a corporate environment that is implementing things that we find to be contrary to our belief system. Case in point, big tech and their relentless censorship of us. Those are the types of things that fall under the category of ESG, even without being anything really an aspect of ESG, because it improves their relationship with the government. When they acquiesce to the demands of the government to do unconstitutional searches and censorship decisions and modifications of terms of service, the same sort of principle applies here. And we need to bleed these companies. We need to break these companies. And I'm sorry that it had to be Anheuser-Busch. As far as I'm concerned, it could have been any or all of them. I want them all to suffer terribly for manipulating our psychology. Now, there's a lot of people that are very upset with that that you know sponsorship with Dylan Mulvaney, and feel you know that's fine. I don't care. Like you're more than welcome to be offended by it. I personally wasn't. I don't really care, but I do understand the explanation that they feel as if. Dylan, you know, takes away from what it is to actually be a woman and all this other stuff. That's okay. They can feel that way. Um, and if that's enough to get you to be on my team for this, uh, uh, you know, attempt at, at a boycott, fine. That's great. But the real reason is because I want to break this ESG cycle. And we have to send a signal to the rest of the corporations that if you take this same path, if you continue to shove your cultural revolution down our throats, we will punish you until you apologize and fire everyone involved. And if you refuse to do that, we will bankrupt you. Yeah, that's how serious you should be taking this. And I think the only way you do it is at their bottom line. You don't have any capacity to, to modify their behaviors otherwise. And so far, the reason that this hasn't worked is because the hedge funds and the money managers, they, they don't care about sales. And they don't believe you when you say, I'm done with Bud Light. They say, oh, these idiots are going to go buy some other Anheuser-Busch Anheuser product. They're probably right. Many people will, but some won't. And if you can actually hurt them in their pocketbooks significantly. You have a real chance of getting them to, to modify their behavior. And that, boys and girls, would be a huge white pill. So let's hope. Let's hope that we can crush the ESG bastards where they stand so that we can finally get back to normal capitalism. That is really my goal here. I want businesses that listen to their customers and deliver them marketing and products that they actually desire, as opposed to trying to modify the fabric of civilization through your fucked up marketing campaigns. That's what I want. And I will punish you relentlessly until you give me that. There you have it. I hope that helped answer your question, fucko. <laughs>
And a quick reminder that when I'm doing live shows or anytime, actually, on my phone, you can text me on Converso at 555-175-8394. I've already gotten messages from dozens of you. I am I appreciate the, uh, the communica communication, the contact, and the questions. Uh, many of you have sent me questions for Vivek Ramaswamy, which, by the way, I'm still trying to schedule. We hope it, for it to be next week. Please, God, don't let this be another Alex Jones situation. Um, but Converso is an awesome super, super private messaging app. I think it's the best out there. And I believe that so much that instead of taking compensation, I took shares. That's how much I believe that this app, this new product is going to eat Signal and Telegram and everybody else's lunch. It's awesome. Check it out. Doesn't cost you anything to download. It's on Apple and Android. Converso, C-O-N-V-E-R-S-O, or search in the description below for the link and you'll be able to find it yourself. Converso. It's the best privacy-focused messaging app in the game. All right, let's get into the uh, little bit, little bit more fun stuff. <laughs> Just kidding, it's not really fun. But uh, I thought that this was a really interesting interview. I had never seen it before. This is uh, between CIA agent Claridge. Uh, apparently, he headed up the CIA. He was in the CIA for thirty years, and he headed up the CIA in the Latin American division for all of the nineteen eighties. So. Check this out. This is such a mind-blowing disclosure of how the CIA views its role on the global stage. Chile, the only reason it exists is because of Pinochet. At a huge human price. What human price? Give me a break. The thousands who were disappeared Thousand, and murdered. Thousands? You count them. What thousands? I've seen their names yeah. in the cemetery in Santiago. Yeah, I you're saying, yeah. you're saying they're thousands. They aren't thousands. Well, there aren't thousands, sir. It was a period in which almost everybody in the present uh, situation regards as a dark time, in which the CIA played a major role. That's right. They played a major role in over overthrowing, uh, what's his name? Uh, what's his name was Salvador Allende. Yeah, fine. Okay. He was democratically elected. Right. Okay. <laughs> First off, he forgets the name of the guy that they overthrew, which is Salvador Allende. And then he goes, he was democratically elected. And he goes, right, okay. You know, just defending democracy out there. Is that okay to overthrow a democratically elected government? Is it okay? It depends on what your national security interests are. Boom. That is the truth of how every CIA agent views their job. You can overthrow democratically elected politicians depending entirely not on what the people of that foreign nation, <clears throat> Ukraine, want, but rather what your national security interests are. What right have you, when I mean you, the CIA, the United States government, or any foreign power, what right do you have to do what you do in other countries? But that's a divine right, isn't it? Because the people that you do it to have no say in it. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's just tough. <laughs> this guy is unbelievable. And and he gets really upset here and he lets the the whole cat out of the bag right here. We are going to protect ourselves and we're going to go on protecting ourselves because we end up protecting all of you. And let's not forget that. We'll intervene whenever we decide it's in our national security interest to intervene. And if you don't like it, lump it. 
Get used to it, world. <laughs> that is such a crazy interview. Uh, you know, God bless him. God bless him for being an angry old man that was willing to tell the truth once he was out of the job. But this is why when I talk about the Maidan revolution in 2014 in uh, Kiev, in Ukraine, uh, yeah, I'm pretty confident, pretty damn confident, particularly given the uh, the cable release, Nyet means Nyet, or the uh, leaked phone call between Jeffrey Pyatt and Victoria Nuland. Add all that up, roll it up in a little bow and they're in a package, tie a bow on it, and then put that dude's interview right behind it. Tell me that's not how our State Department and the Central Intelligence Agency views democracy broadly. They couldn't give a fuck less, folks. They don't care one little bit about what the people of some foreign land voted for. They care entirely about their national security interests. Now, what do you think their national security interests entail? Does it actually ensure our national security? No, not really. Our interests are usually financial in nature because the people that run our government are the corporate interests, correct? So are they really interested in keeping you and I safe given that 9-11 was blowback from CIA actions and activity abroad for the decades prior? Are they really concerned with keeping us safe? Or are they concerned with maintaining the purchasing power of the dollar, getting the best access possible to oil and gas? Those are like the best things they do in terms of like things that actually benefit us. Or on top of that, are they really focused on making sure that Exxon and, you know, Halliburton and Blackwater get their payday, which then donate to the politicians, which get into power to continue to craft legislation that perpetuates the CIA's power and budget. Yeah, I'd say it's the latter. So thanks for telling us the truth, truth, Mr. Claridge, you old piece of shit. <laughs> it also came out yesterday that uh, Epstein's private calendar had been leaked to the Wall Street Journal, and it reveals more meetings with Epstein. Here's the notable names. Catherine Rummler, a White House counsel under President Barack Obama, had dozens of meetings, not one, not two, not five, not 10, but dozens of meetings with Epstein in the years after her White House service and before she became a top lawyer at Goldman Sachs Group, Inc. in 2020. They also planned a visit to Epstein's island. Reason given was that business relationship as she worked at the law firm Latham & Watkins, Epstein introduced her to various potential clients, including Bill Gates and Ariane de Rothschild. Leon Botstein, the president of Bard College, invited Epstein, who brought a group of young female guests to the campus, reason given, to get donations to his school. Look, all of these could be benign, but I'm going to tell you what I've read because I think it's interesting. This is from Mario Nafal on, uh, on Twitter. He also says that it included CIA chief and Obama's, oh yeah, CIA chief. We'll get to that later. Noam Chomsky also was listed. A professor, author, and political activist was scheduled to fly with Epstein to have dinner at Epstein's Manhattan townhouse, reason given, to discuss Israel's policies with regard to Palestinian issues and the international arena. Weird to be talking to Epstein about that, unless he has some ties that we're not privy to. 
Then we got CIA Director Mr. Burns met with Epstein about a decade ago as he was preparing to leave government service, apparently to seek, quote, advice on transition to the private sector, end quote, as he was leaving the CIA. Reason given claims he, quote, did not know anything about Epstein other than that he was introduced as an expert in the financial services sector and offered general advice on transition to the private sector, end quote. Now, that's all plausible except for one vital thing. Epstein had already been charged with a bunch of terrible things with kids in Florida in like, I think it was 2009. So his meeting came three years after that. So you're to, you are to believe, audience friend, that the director of the CIA <laughs> met with the guy who had been charged with child trafficking that uh, he didn't know who he was other than his financial background. He met the, the head of the CIA, didn't know who he was, but had a meeting with him. Come the fuck on, folks. Are we really doing this? Are we really going to plead ignorance when it's this brazen? Crazy. That is absolutely crazy. And it, in my opinion, all but confirms the allegations, the conspiracy theories that perhaps Epstein had some connections with the CIA. What do you think? Is that possible? Yeah, I think it's possible. So let's hear what uh, Corinne Jean-Pierre has to say about that disclosure. Thanks, Corinne. Um, does President Biden have any reaction to CIA Director William Burns meeting with Jeffrey Epstein in 2014? This obviously was after Epstein had served time for a sex crime and registered as a sex offender. I'm just not going to comment on that from here. Okay, and can you also... Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to comment on that from here. Yeah. Don't bother lying. Just fucking let it go. Hmm? Just let us think whatever we want to think about it. My goodness, man. My goodness. So yeah, he didn't know. Dude who had been convicted, I believe, on, I don't know if it was human trafficking or if it was just like underage, like statutory rape, but look, if you're going to buy the story, that the head of the CIA met with a dude when he's coming out of office because he wants a job. He wants a job. The head of the CIA wants a job when he gets out of the CIA. And he talks to Jeffrey motherfucking Epstein. And it's all just a coincidence. He has no idea who he is. The fuck out of here. The fuck out of here, dude. That is so crazy. That is so crazy. You have yet another bank that has gone bust. This time it's first regional. And, uh, Got unusual whales that says another another congressman literally traded banking stocks again. Lewis Frankel sold FRC on March 16th, avoiding the remaining 80% drop. She then bought JP Morgan, the bank which bought FRC on March 22nd, which is now up because of that acquisition, which was assured, by the way, with your tax dollars. Because any losses coming from that acquisition of FRC will be put on the, the shoulders on the back of the taxpayer, but any profits, if they're able to right the ship with the assets that they acquired, will be profits for JP Morgan. Once again, demonstrating we live nowhere close to a free market, folks. Nowhere close. And it's very frustrating, <laughs> to put it mildly. 
Um, and these Congress people should be put in prison for what they're doing, in my humble opinion. Um, so they got they got around the so-called deposit cap in First Republic deal by arguing it doesn't technically apply when buying a bank in receivership. Then they offered the best terms to the government. Sources involved told Fox Business. Yet another rule that doesn't mean anything. And this is from Charlie Gasparino. Keeping in mind that the Federal Reserve meets tomorrow to decide if they're going to hike interest rates once again. Keeping in mind also that the reason that the balance sheets on these regional banks have blown up is because these regional banks acquired long-term debt instruments like bonds and T-bills, which have now become a bloodbath because of the Fed's record interest rate hiking cycle that has now began and con continued in earnest for about 13, 14 months now, um, which has made their bond portfolio a bloodbath and made them insolvent largely. So this is once again, a fed created crisis. Does anyone care? No, they do not. Uh, let's break it down with zero hedge. I thought that this was a pretty damn good article. I don't always like what they put out, but this was pretty, pretty non fear mongery. They say crowding out the fed may be killing the private sector to save government. The federal reserves balance sheet reaches all time high in May of 2022. Since then it was supposed to drop at a steady pace and shed 3 trillion us dollars by 2024. As you can see, they are nowhere near that. So if they intend to keep going, it's going to take a precipitous drop or a precipitous climb in the Fed funds rate. We'll see. The normalization of monetary policy was built on the idea of a soft landing for the economy. However, the Fed may be killing the private sector to save the government. Curbing inflation requires a significant reduction in the money supply and aggregate demand. However, if government deficit spending is left untouched, the entire burden of normalizing monetary policy will fall on families and businesses. The current situation is the worst possible. The Fed's balance sheet is not falling at as fast as it should. Government spending has not even been scratched, but the money supply is falling at the fastest pace since, since the 1930s. I hadn't seen this chart, but it's pretty remarkable. Went uh, from plus 25 in the heart of COVID when they were just printing like gangbusters down to negative 4.1. Wild. Um, and rate hikes are hurting the productive economy while the government seems unaware of the need to reduce its bloated budget. The first quarter GDP figure is extremely concerning. Government spending showed yet another big rise at 4.7%, much higher than expected. However, consumption at plus 3.7% annualized was well below estimates and driven by a worrying new record in credit card debt. Even more concerning, Gross private domestic investment fell by a massive 12, 12.5%. And if you look at this chart here, you can see that the other times that it has been a bloodbath in terms of gross private domestic investment was 0809, which obviously <laughs> was not a good time. And then you got a massive dip in 2020 and then a multitude of bad dips in 22 and this year. So that to me tells, tells me we're likely in a recession. This is... Uh, there is robust evidence of a negative trend in the real economy. Rising federal expenditure, more bureaucracy, higher taxes, and weaker activity in the part of the economy that drives growth and jobs. Rate hikes have two different negative effects on the economy. If the government does not reduce its deficit spending spree, they mean higher taxes and a massive crowding out of the available credit. The government deficit is always going to be financed, even if it is at higher rates, but this also means less credit for businesses and families. Let's put this in layman's terms. Basically, if there's a trillions of dollars laying around and you're looking at things to invest in and you now have government bonds, which are allegedly risk-free and you can acquire them and get four or 5% annual return. Why would you be playing with 
you know, capital investment into your business? Why would you be playing with, uh, you know, purchases of other private stocks? You probably wouldn't. It starts to flip the risk calculation in people's heads as investors. And they say, oh, I'm just going to buy government bonds. And if they do that, that means that that liquidity is sucked out of the private market and kept in the government market. That's not good for the broader economy. Get it? Okay. The crowding out effect is uh, the crowding out effect of the public sector over the productive economy means lower productivity growth, weaker investment, and declining real wages as the government keeps inflation above target by spending additional units of newly created currency by the productive sectors, or but the productive sectors find it harder and more expensive to find credit. Exactly. Additionally, the government borrows at a much lower cost than even the most efficient and profitable businesses. It is impossible to achieve a soft landing for the economy when the Federal Reserve ignores the signals of the banking system and the real economy. The first pillar of a true soft landing must be to preserve the real disposable income of workers and the job creation and investment capabilities of businesses. Correct. When the government continues to increase spending, there is no signal of the mildest budgetary control and the entire landing comes from the private sector. What we get is upside down economics. The Federal Reserve has stopped paying attention to monetary aggregates just as the money supply is contracting at an almost historic pace. Even worse, the money supply is contracting, but federal deficit spending is untouched and the debt ceiling was raised again. The money supply is collapsing due to the inevitable credit crunch and the difficulties faced by consumers and businesses. It is impossible to grow with rising taxes, persistent inflation, a tax in itself, and carrying the entire burden of the normalization of monetary policy. Fighting inflation without cutting government spending is like reducing weight without eliminating fattening food. Bingo. And I actually, I refuse to even discuss this alleged fight to raise the debt ceiling. You and I both know when it comes down to it, will they shut down the government? No, the fuck they won't. The GOP ain't got the cojones for it. Prove me wrong, GOP. Prove me wrong that all of your grandstanding nonsense about how, no, no, this time, this time we're actually going to, we're going to cut the budget and we're going to require that the government get the spending in, in line and borrowing down and blah, 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 blah. You guys are full of shit. Because you're owned by the same corporate oligarchs that own the Democrats. We all know it. Prove me wrong. Gauntlet thrown down. Challenge accepted. Accept the challenge. Come on. We'll see. And this is why it matters. This is an article from Mises Institute. It says Charles Schwab and other big banks may be secretly insolvent. The taming of, this is by Manuel Garcia Gohon. The taming of monetary policy necessary to slow price inflation has triggered a corrective trend in the valuation of financial instruments. Many big banks in the United States have substantially increased their use of an accounting technique that allows them to avoid marking certain assets as at their current market value. It's called mark to market. Instead, using the face value in their balance sheet calculations. This accounting technique consists of announcing that they intend to hold such assets to maturity because then you don't have to realize the losses. Get it? At the end of 2022, the bank with the largest amount of assets marked as held to maturity relative to capital was Charles Schwab. Apart from being structured as a bank, Charles Schwab is a prominent stockbroker and owns TD Ameritrade, another prominent stockbroker. Charles Schwab had over $173 billion in assets marked as held to maturity. Its capital, assets minus liabilities, stood at under $37 billion. At that time, the difference between the market value and face value of assets held to maturity was over $14 billion. 
So what does that mean? In reality, they have about 23 billion in, uh, in capital. That is not a lot, which means that if they had to realize their losses, they would be very close to being insolvent. If the accounting technique had not been used to, the capital would have stood at around 23 billion. Oh, well, they did the math. I did it in my head though, so I'm better. Uh, this amount is under half the 56 billion Charles Schwab had in capital at the end of 2021. This is also under 15% of the amount of assets held to maturity, under 10% of securities and under 5% of total assets. An asset 10 years from maturity is reduced in present value by 15% with a 3% increase in the interest rate. It's because of, yeah, I don't, I don't remember the name of the calculation. I used to do it in business school. An asset 20 years from maturity is reduced in present value by 15% with a 1.5% increase in the interest rate. So you can see how, how quickly the assets decrease in actual market value uh, versus their face value, what you acquired them for based off of increases in interest rates. So with them having increased the Fed funds rate by 4.75% with a promise to increase it by another quarter point tomorrow morning, well... Those are massive, massive losses on their long-term debt instrument holdings. Continuing on, the interest rates for long-term financial instruments have remained relatively stable throughout the first quarter of 2023, but this may be subject to change as many of the long-term assets of recently failed Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank must be sold off for the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, the FDIC, to replenish its liquidity. The long-term interest rate is also heavily dependent on inflation expectations. As with higher inflation, a higher nominal rate is necessary to obtain the same real rate. It is also important to remember that the U.S. Congress has persisted in not raising the debt ceiling for the government, which is currently projected to not be able to meet all of its obligations by August. According to Janet Yellen, it'll be by the end of June, actually, that they cannot meet their obligations if the debt ceiling is not raised. Yeah, speed up that timeline. This could impact the value of treasuries held by the banks. Other banks that may be close to an effective insolvency include the Bank of Hawaii and the Banco Popular de Puerto Rico. The Bank of Hawaii's hypothetical shortfall as of the end of 2022 already exceeded 60% of its capital. The BPPR has over double its capital in assets held to maturity. All three banks, Bank of Hawaii, BPPR, and Charles Schwab have lost between one-third and one-half of their market cap over the last month. That means that the market is paying attention to their highly questionable solvency. It is difficult to say with certainty whether they are indeed secretly close to insolvency as they may have some form of insurance that could absorb some of the impact from a loss of value in their assets. But if this were the case, it is not clear why they would need to employ this questionable accounting technique so heavily. The risk of insolvency is currently the highest it's been in over a decade. Central banks can solve liquidity problems while continuing to raise interest rates and fight price inflation, but they cannot solve solvency problems without pivoting monetary policy or through blatant bailouts which could increase inflation expectations, exacerbating the problem of decreasing valuations of long-term assets. In the end, the Federal Reserve might find that the most effective way to preserve the entire system is to let the weakest fail. That's a really, really important point. That when the choice comes down to it and they say, all right, we can't allow inflation to continue to rip because that'll destroy the economy too. So we have to let some of these smaller or mid-sized banks fail. And the reason I'm reading you this is because I think you should be privy to the fact that the market is suspecting they are sniffing out the weak uh, lamb like a bunch of lions. <laughs> they're, they're sniffing it out and they're saying Bank of Hawaii, Banco Popular de Puerto Rico and uh, Charles Schwab, aka TD Ameritrade, may be the next to go to follow up on First Regional as well as Silicon Valley Bank as well as Signature. That means that we're up to six, seven 
banks that may be bust, that may be going to the Fed and the FDIC and the Treasury trying to offload their upside down assets in that uh, that one year lending vehicle that was just created last month specifically for Silicon Valley Bank. Yeah, pay attention to that, folks. This means, in my humble estimation, that we have a litany of banks that are in a similar circumstance to all these ones that I've just mentioned. I'm guessing 25, 35 banks out there that are all similarly on the precipice. You know me. I don't fear monger about this shit. That's my honest estimate as to, to what I suspect based off of the insolvencies and the bankruptcies we've already seen. It could be worse than that. I feel like I'm being fairly conservative, actually, given how much the Fed interest rate hiking cycle has damaged the balance sheet of these banks. So I want you guys to be privy to it so that you do not get ran over in the process, because if you don't know what's happening, it'll be very easy to get ran over. Get it? Good. Shifting gears entirely, my boy Vivek did an opinion piece in the Wall Street Journal today. It says, I'll fire over 90% of employees at the Fed without apology. They need to go back to performing a simple function, stabilize the dollar. I explain why in my latest piece. Well, you can go to the Wall Street Journal to read his piece, but I have one simple critique for Vivek off bat. When has the Federal Reserve ever stabilized the dollar? Their explicit purpose is to maintain the demolition of the dollar, but slowly. That is not stabilizing the dollar, in my humble opinion. And this is why I'm an abolitionist, not a reformer, not a firer, firer, firer. I don't know how to say that. Firing people. <laughs> um, the truth is that's not their job. Their job is not to keep the dollar stable. It's to diminish its purchasing power slightly over time, three to 4% annually just to keep the juices flowing. That's how they phrase it. Or that's how they frame it, rather. It's a joke. It's nonsense. It's to the benefit, given the Cantillon effect, of the biggest money managers out there that have access to the Fed window that are able to buy at the Fed discount, or borrow, rather, at the Fed discount rate. It's unfair to those that don't have that privilege. Now, that's actually a privilege. It's called crony capitalism. And none of the average Americans have that whatsoever. When we go and borrow to buy a home, for instance, right now we would pay six and a half, seven, seven and a half percent on a mortgage, whereas they can borrow at the overnight lending rate, like less than, a, well, I guess it's 4% now, but it, as of a year ago and for the past decade, they were able to borrow for 1% or less. Why do they deserve that privilege? They don't, but they have it because of the relationship to the government. This is a banking cartel, Vivek. And if I have you on my show, which I hope to, I will implore you to at minimum explain in detail why we should support keeping a Federal Reserve whatsoever, as opposed to going to sound money or legalizing cryptocurrency as legal tender. Tell me why. Tell me why not. I'm interested to hear it. Because as of now, I only see abolition as the path forward. Now, switching gears entirely, let's go to Donald Trump, who I haven't heard from in a while. He says this. When I get back into the Oval Office, we will totally obliterate the deep state. We will... We will establish... 
A Truth and Reconciliation Commission to declassify and publish all documents on deep state spying, censorship, and corruption. Even his face, he looks like he's surprised that he's reading that. <laughs> Look, you were the president, dude, for four years. I'm sorry, but it, uh, it beggars belief that you could have been in there for four years and not disclosed us much of anything. But if you get back in there, then you're going to abolish and demolish everything. Come on, man. I don't know. Look, I hope so. Obviously I hope so. That'd be awesome. If any of that actually came to pass, but if you still have faith, God bless you. I ain't got it. Transitioning now to Ukraine. We have Ukraine accuses Tulsi Gabbard and Rand Paul of promoting Russian propaganda. This is from the week. Ukraine's Center for Countering Disinformation announced Monday that it has had, had com, it had compiled a list of American citizens who have been, quote, promoting Russian propaganda, end quote. The center, which Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky created in 2021, named Senator Rand Paul, Representative Tulsi Gabbard, journalist Glenn Greenwald, retired U.S. Army, Army Colonel Douglas McGregor, academic John Mearsheimer, and military historian Edward Lutwak. I know all of them except for Lutwak because I have quoted them probably in my debate against destiny. So I find it very interesting that they are all alleged Russian propagandists. Gabbard and Greenwald have endorsed the theory, which Russia promotes and Ukraine denies, that there are dozens of U.S.-funded biolabs in Ukraine. Oh, any mention of the fact that Victoria Nuland said that on Capitol Hill? The week? You going to mention that? In the early days of the invasion, McGregor told Fox News that Zelensky was a puppet and was putting huge numbers of his own population at unnecessary risk by refusing to cave to Russian President Vladimir Putin's demands. Was, was McGregor wrong that he was putting huge numbers of his own population at unnecessary risk? Mearsheimer delivered a lecture in 2015 with the title, Why is Ukraine the West's Fault? in which he argued that NATO and the EU had driven Ukraine into conflict with Russia by teasing the possibility of membership without ever intending to grant it. Paul made similar statements and has voted against military aid for Ukraine. In April, Lutwak called for a peace deal that would allow disputed territories in the Donbass to hold referendums on whether to join with Russia or remain part of Ukraine. Why, why are we opposing democracy now? Fox News host Tucker Carlson, a frequent critic of Zelensky's government, said Monday night that Ukraine is not a democracy in any recognizable sense and accused Zelensky of attempting to, quote, impose censorship in our country, end quote. Yeah, well, that's kind of what it looks like, doesn't it? Doesn't it look like that? Given that, you know, Tucker got fired right after saying that, it's interesting timing. I don't know if it's correlated at all, but allegedly the Murdochs had a lengthy conversation with uh, Zelensky just prior, saying that the Murdochs were threatened with putting them also on that very same list. And what many people have phrased as a kill list, allegedly that's what it says on the website. I can't read their language, so I can't be certain, but what? You're going to put us on kill list because we don't want to be robbed to continue to fund your war? I don't think that sounds fair. <laughs> I don't think that sounds fair at all. We'll round it out with this. Uh, Tucker Carlson had some leaks, alleged leaks, of, I guess, hot mic moments when he was still with Fox News that was sent to Media Matters and was released today one week after his firing. The reason I present it to you, and let me preface this by saying, I personally believe that some of these are actually deepfakes and they are not real. So 
take it with a grain of salt. However, the reason I want you to see it is because I find it interesting that given that the former employees of Fox that said that this is Fox's protocol for former employees of Fox, that they create a dossier that they then dump to reporters to try and tarnish your reputation post-employment at Fox. And one week later, these types of things hit Media Matters. Eh, it's interesting. It's worth noting. So let's see the terrible things that Tucker says in private. Everyone in this company is thrilled that you're doing this. I've gotten more calls from people about it. Oh, that's great. Whatever I got to say, I, I, when I came to... Um, Speaking with Piers Morgan before an interview, clearly. New York a couple of weeks ago, I couldn't believe how welcoming and friendly everybody was. It was fantastic. I loved it. Yeah, they, they really mean it from the owners on down. Yeah. Um, it's cool. It's cool to see it. I like that. It's it's a good, you know, people are nice in this company, I think. They've always been nice to me agree anyway. I completely agree. Everyone's been very, very friendly and very nice, and I really appreciate it. Uh, but thank you so much for coming on. It's, uh, it's Yeah, I bet that doesn't change. Of course. Yeah. It's just great to have you on my show. I mean, I've been on yours enough times. It's great. I think it's totally cool. So let's, um, is, if we're going to talk about sex, I'd love to hit some of the fine points of technique. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, but it's your show. It's totally up to you. We can certainly talk about your sexual technique, especially after your tanning testicles last week. Not mine. I, we'll, we'll speak in more general terms, but I've got something to add. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, he's just shooting the shit with uh, Piers Morgan before an interview. I, uh, and it's obviously a joke, so I I don't know why anyone would be bothered by this one. This one, on the other hand, is clearly a deep fake, but once again, still doesn't put Tucker in a bad light at all, in my opinion. You wouldn't? Okay. I'm not, you know what? I'm not qualified on that score, I will say. I thought his girlfriend was kind of yummy. Just kidding. Just kidding. Cases being pulled off the bird. Yeah, the bird. Hey, Media Matters for America. Go fuck yourself. That's the first thing I want to say tonight. Second thing is, totally kidding, I don't even know what his girlfriend looks like. And if I did, I would not find her yummy. Okay. Uh, the reason that one looks so deep fake, his eyelids are doing all sorts of like dancing. It looks super, super fake. But even if it's real, again, it's a joke. Like, I, it just makes him more endearing. Honestly, like if anyone's offended by that, I don't know what you've been a very sheltered life, <laughs> like extraordinarily sheltered. Well, I feel great. La know, last one. I can never assess my appearance. I wait for my postmenopausal fans to weigh in on that. My IFB. So he said, I wait for my postmenopausal fans to weigh in on, I guess, on his appearance. Big deal. What? They want to control me from afar? Okay, I'm putting the leash on. You, you can... <laughs> Fuck it, we'll do it live! I got you, baby. <laughs> and then he impersonates uh, the, the famous meltdown from Bill O'Reilly. Uh, like, none, none of these are damning whatsoever. <laughs> like, if I was Tucker's PR agent, I'd be like, this is fucking awesome. This is this is going to make you so much more appealing that in private you joke like every other guy on earth does.
And that's assuming these videos are even real, which they seem pretty fake to me. So I don't know. But uh, that I just wanted you guys to be privy to it, <laughs> to, to the latest rumor mill. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see what he does in the next phase of his career and whether or not he can escape that contract that he's under with Fox. We'll, we'll find out. And then I just wanted to uh, give you one more note because I think it's important that you guys are aware of it. Ireland has passed a law making it illegal for their citizens to view or share any non-mainstream media content. But then readers added, added context that I think is important because Twitter actually now has good fact checkers as opposed to the bullshit they used to do. It says the Irish hate speech law criminalizes possession and dissemination of material likely to incite violence or hatred based on protected characteristics like race and gender. If, if non-mainstream media content falls under this category, it could be subject to the law's provisions. So, I mean, it's still saying that it's making it illegal for their citizens to view or share any non-mainstream media content that is deemed hate speech, which as anyone listening to this knows is a fairly arbitrary distinction, one that the government, if they don't like you, can certainly classify your dissident viewpoints as hate speech, in which case it would make it illegal for their citizens to then view or share any of that. I mean, obviously they don't have a First Amendment since we're talking about Ireland, but that is a massive violation of your speech rights, which I believe is God-given. So, uh, very concerning. And massive penalties, too. They, up to prison time, which is just totally bonkers. So, thought you guys would be interested to find out that, they, well, America is rapidly falling apart. Uh, at least we're not doing as bad as Ireland and much of the rest of the world. <laughs> but it's still pretty ugly out there. Uh, just a reminder... If you want to support my work, go to libertylockdown.locals.com. And if you want to check out a chronology of the creation of the Ministry of Truth in America, uh, incredible article that I found off Tablet Magazine, I believe it was. And it was uh, very lengthy, so I read it all for you, kind of an audible style Liberty Lockdown with just brief commentary from myself. But uh, it's very, very important that you understand while the Ministry of Truth under Nina Jankovic was shot down, the reality is that our experience in 2020 demonstrates quite clearly that we exist under a Ministry of Truth without the title. And the 2020 to 2023 range really emphasizes the fact that there is a massive you know, state-backed kind of hybrid with big tech that and social media that allows them to control and curtail our wrong think. And uh, this gives you the chronology of how it came to pass. It's basically a transition from the war on terror into a domestic war on dissidents. And I think that we are deep in it at this point. And I do not think it's gone away. And I think that you would be foolish to think that it's gone away just because the lockdown's ended. It is very much with us and it will very much be used again in the not too distant future. So check that one out. Again, that will not be here. That'll only be on Rumble. Well, also Odyssey, all the other alt platforms, as well as my audio show. So just search Liberty Lockdown and smash that subscribe button. And while you're here, hit the like, leave a comment, find a significant other in the comments, and then produce Liberty Babies, by which we can conquer the earth with beautiful little libertarians that run around all cute. Wouldn't that be fun? I think so. <laughs> I really, really enjoy what I do, guys. Seriously. Um, I know I do this periodically where I just kind of... 
give you effervescent praise where I'm just like, oh, this is so beautiful, my life. Oh. But I really, it's amazing. In fact, little news for you guys. Um, I will be meeting with Tim Pool this weekend. And I think you know what that might mean. Uh, we'll see how it goes. Fingers crossed. Um, but I am very optimistic about what the future holds, uh, not just for myself, but for our community. Uh, I was actually thinking about this yesterday, that as the corporate media, and especially with Tucker's fi firing, like who is a guy in the media that the broad public trusts? Like, is there one? Because keeping in mind, Tucker Carlson was watched by more Democrats than any other commentator. So he was, I mean, even if it was a lot of hate watches, I'm sure there was a lot of that too. But there's a lot of people on the left that were listening to Tucker because they felt like he was telling them more truth than the other stations were. He gone now. So what are we left with? I think we're left with alt platforms. People like me, Dave Smith, and a lit litany of others out there, Tim Pool and all these other people that are trying to trying their best to de to deliver the truth to their audience in a you know in a way that at least if we are biased we do it overtly as to as opposed to being covert and and the reason I think that this is important and the reason I I view it as a white pill is that as you know the CBS ABC NBC Fox News uh, stations die especially their news organizations that void that that desire for a trusted name in news a trusted voice that people can actually go to and find someone trying I, I don't get everything right but you guys i think can sense after three years of listening to me i am trying desperately to just deliver you the truth that's all i'm that's all i'm seeking all the time and i think that there will be some figures i'm not saying i'm going to be one of them obviously i i hope i am but i have no idea there's going to be a lot of figures from our tiny little niche movement that become very prominent voices in the not too distant future. And I can't wait, even if it's not me, I can't wait for there to be a marketplace that is actually uh, being filled with people that are in pursuit of truth because not just America, but the world desperately needs that right now. And your guys support of people like me helps us bring that future into the present. So thank you. Again, if you want to support my work, go to libertylockdown.locals.com. Hit the like, hit the comment, leave or hit the subscription. Jesus, I can't ever get this right. And go to toplobster.com if you want to pick up a evil socialist garbage Liberty Lockdown shirt. I'll be back in a couple days. Um, and I'm hoping to schedule Vivek Ramaswamy for next week. We'll see. Stay tuned. We're out of here. Peace. Welcome to Liberty Lockdown. Please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it go?